0: going to be opening up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is two questions that you will ask the rest of your life. Not the only two, I know you're going to ask more than two, but two very important ones. And I'm going to go on and tell you what those two questions are. Who am I and who is God? we're always going to ask those questions. And in Exodus chapter 3, before we get into it, just a little bit of backstory: What's happened in the first two chapters of Exodus. Um, by this time, the Israelites, they've come out of, you know, we're out of the book of Genesis. And the Israelites are in slavery to the Egyptians. And they're, they're growing rapidly. And, and Moses was born into this time. When the Israelites were in slavery to the Egyptians. And Moses was actually taken in. By an Egyptian daughter, by Pharaoh's daughter, and raised in an Egyptian household, in Pharaoh's household. And he got all this training and then and he got to experience that. But Moses is still a Hebrew, he's still an Israelite. And then, so he has passion on his people. In chapter two of Exodus, he, he, he's walking through and he's recognizing all of the, the, all the hard work, how the Egyptians are treating them. They're treating his people as slaves. And then one of, he notices somebody getting mistreated, and he goes and he kills the Egyptian that was mistreating one of his fellow man, and it causes Moses to flee, and he runs to the desert, he and he ends up in a place called Midian, and that's where Exodus chapter three picks up. He's in Midian, he's got a wife, and he's got a kid, and he's got a job as a shepherd. So before we start reading in Exodus chapter three, uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for just the time to be able to be here. Lord, I pray that today as we look in your word, that we're able to like see who you are and that you really come out, that you really show yourself just like you did to Moses back then. God, that we can really see who you are, God, and that you can help us answer the question of who we are. But God, I pray that uh, as we're reading that the word rings really deeply on our hearts. Love you so much in your son's and I pray. Amen. Amen. So that's just the introduction in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led to the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that, saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him with, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. You have to do a deep voice when you're talking about God, right? That's one of those moments that when I'm in heaven, I, I do want to ask God to replay. I want to see the bush. I want to know how big the bush was. I want to... How was it not on fire, but on fire? And, and what did you sound like, God? Was it like the TV show where it's like an echo? You guys heard, seeing Prince of Egypt? We, I watched Prince of Egypt yet- yesterday, getting ready for my sermon. And... Um, Don't worry, it will not be a cartoon. (laughs) I needed to know the history of one and two, so I watched ex-Prince of Egypt. But uh, (laughs) anyway, sorry, back to the... And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the people, seen my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing out of Egypt. I mean, could you just imagine this interaction with God? And you know, you know, all the way up until this point, Moses has a ton of passion for his people. So much passion that he was willing to kill someone to protect someone, one of his own people. And he just has—you can tell, you know, Moses. There's something in there, some kind of love, even though he was raised. In Egyptian household. He still loved his people so much. And can you just imagine this conversation with God other than the fact that it's just, it's a burning bush. I mean, and, and you know, God's talking to you through that. I mean, that, that in and of itself is amazing. But then God tells Moses, I have this amazing plan. I'm going to bring your people out of Egypt. I mean, Moses is probably pretty fired up, right? I'm sure he was. Pretty fired up. I'm going to bring your people out of Egypt. Oh, and I'm sending you to do it. Moses says, who am I? But isn't that a good question? Who am I? You know, I remember I was uh, 13 years old and, you know, grew up in Riverdale, Georgia. It's about 20 minutes south of Atlanta. And we didn't have a lot of money as a family. My mom worked. As like a paraprofessional at a school which is pretty much like a teacher's assistant and went to school at night and my dad worked two jobs um, you know eight to five Monday through Friday and then a couple nights during the week he would work as well just to just just to make ends meet I mean we I was I'm the oldest of four and I got young parents and so growing up I mean we just never really had a ton of money and I, I, I remember a time when our roof was leaking and in the kitchen it was leaking like right in the middle of the kitchen so we'd set this and it wasn't like a bad leak okay I don't want you guys to get this image of but it was just a steady leak and we would sit like a five gallon pail out there and it fill up and then every few days you'd have to empty it same thing happened in our laundry room you know I didn't really care about that I cared about the kitchen one because that's the one my friends would see you didn't even want to bring your friends like hey do you, can I get some water yes yeah, stay there I'll go get it and that's kind of the way it was and you know It doesn't rain much here in California, but in Georgia, it rains a little bit more. And I just remember the day my dad comes home and he's like, hey, we're going to fix the roof. I got the money. We're going to fix the roof. And I'm so fired up about my roof getting fixed. You know, it already looked pretty bad. And then my dad's like, and I need you to help me with it. All of a sudden, I wasn't so fired up about it. And it was even worse because we get to the top and he has one nail gun. And my dad used the nail gun. You know, we had to do shingles. I don't know how it is, the roof's out here. But he used the nail gun, and so I'm up there with a hammer and nail, just just all the way through. I mean, it took about four days, what should have taken one day, um, to fix our roof. But it was just like that. It was like, hey, I got this great vision. We're going to fix the roof. It's going to be exciting, but (laughs) you need to do it. You're going to help me do it. Wasn't so fired up about it. You know, but we can relate to Moses. Is It's, it's so easy to get excited about God's plans because they're amazing. He, God has the plan that everyone hears the gospel preached around the, around the world. That's his plan. That's what he desires. That's his purpose. And then he says, and you need to do it. That's when we lose some of that desire. You know, he has the plan. He wants to give you a hope and a future. The Bible says, he says, I want to bless you. That's my plan. Great. I want you to spend eternity with me. I want to help you through your problems. I want to give you wisdom. That's God's plan. That's something to be exciting about, excited about. But then he says, but I need you to have faith in me. But I need your heart, your whole heart, not part of it. I need your whole heart. I need you to obey me. I need you to deny yourself. You know, God has this great plan, and then we hear about it, and then we hear our role. And the reaction is a lot like Moses' Who am I? God, you want me to help change that person's life? God, I can't stop sinning. God, you want me to have an impact? Who am I? You know, I've felt those things many times. It's like, how can I do this? You know, I think the first time I even got asked to go into the, when I got asked to go into the ministry, it was like, are you sure you want me to do this? Is there no one better? I mean, is it, is it are there nobody putting in other applications? I mean, am I the only? But it was, it's, but you guys ever feel that? It's like, who am I? You see, we forget the main ingredient in God's perfect plan is God. Moses forgot that. That's why he said that. Who am I? What can- I can't do this. Verse 12, And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And I love this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God doesn't answer Moses' question, does he? Moses asked him, who am I? What does God say? He doesn't say, Moses, you're so amazing. Oh, Moses, that was such a humble response. He doesn't say that to Moses. He just says, Moses, I will be with you. I am. That's what he says. I am the plan. You know, when we ask that question, who is God, we've got to get a proper perspective. And if you don't get anything out of this lesson, this would be the thing that I would want you to get. Is get the proper perspective of who God actually is. Because we can't, we got to stop saying whatever you believe about God, as long as it's sincere, that's who God is. We can't say that. That's like describing your friend in one moment as a 300-pound sumo wrestler and in the next moment, saying, they're a 90-pound gymnast. And as long as I'm sincere, you know, it doesn't, you know, that, that can't work. It doesn't work. We don't get to decide who God is. So this morning, we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to, I hope you guys got your Bibles greased up. We're going to look at five things on what God is, really quick. So number one, God is Eternal. Go to Psalm 102. You know, Revelation 21.6 says that I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the name of our campus group also at COC, Alpha Omega Campus Ministries. But God says, I am the Alpha Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And in, in Psalm 102, verse 12 It says, but you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. And in verse 25, it says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same And your years will never end. You know, I think most of us would probably agree with the fact that God is eternal. You know, I agreed with it. I agree with it. But have you ever really sat down and thought about it? Like what that means? What that looks like? I mean, when you sit down and think about that. We really can't comprehend it because, you know, we have a beginning, a middle, and end. Everything does except God. Like, we can't relate to that. He's outside of time. He, he is eternal. In verse 25, it says, talking about the heavens and the work, uh, the work of his hands, and in verse 20, 26, he says, They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. When I first read that, I was like, did, Jesus, did God just call me a pair of old jeans? but it's kind of true. You know, I'm not talking about the 1970s Levi's that last for 20 years. I'm talking about the new jeans that come out that have holes in them already that wear out in a week or a couple of weeks. The campus knows what I'm talking about, but it's kind of that way. It's like, it's like, you know, just as quickly as we change garments, God changes, God changes things. It's like, He's going to be around forever. He was around before. He'll be around way later. We can't. It's, like, it's one of those things we can't really comprehend. We can just have faith in it that God is eternal. That's how he sees things. The next thing is about God, who is God, is God knows everything. God knows everything. And this is an intimidating one. In Hebrews chapter 4, Starting in verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must Give account. You know, we all, to some degree, have fooled someone at some point in our life about who we are, not painted an accurate picture of who we are. You know, and we've fooled them into thinking that we're something that we're not. But you can't do that to God. You know, He knows your thoughts, He sees your actions. He's not surprised with, by you, and when you decide to run away, He knows what hiding spot you're going to be in. God, God just knows everything. It's kind of an intimidating thought. Last night, uh, uh, I actually also watched the Truman Show. <laughs> Sorry. I do not just watch movies, guys. I promise. I didn't even finish The Prince of Egypt, just to be clear with that. But... <laughs> For mine and LaShana's date night, we watched The Truman Show. And if you've never seen The Truman Show, I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin it. It's brand new on Netflix, but um, it's been out for a while, so, you know, it's okay. But it's about a guy that his whole life is recorded. And, you know, from childbirth until, you know, and he, he's, he's gotten older, he's a man, he works full-time, he's married, but he doesn't know it. And everything is being recorded. And that's kind of the way about I think about God. God knows everything. Now, at the end of the movie, I'm going to ruin it for you guys. I'm sorry. But um, Truman looks back and they say, Truman, I know you better than you know yourself. And Truman looks back and he says, You didn't have a camera inside my head. Guess what God does? You know, and I just imagine somebody following you around with a video camera. Everywhere you go, you know, whatever you're doing, whenever, whenever you're alone, when you're at work, when you're at church, when you're away from church, and, you know, God's just up there watching your life. And in the subtitles is everything that you're thinking. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Because I know there's been many times where I've done the right thing, but not thought the right thing while doing the right thing. And, but that's... God, he knows everything. It says he will judge not just our actions, but our thoughts and our attitudes. You know, Moses, when, he, when he's talking to God, he said, God, who am I? God's like, I am everything. That was his answer. You know, God is also indescribable. We're going to attempt to describe him, though, in uh, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 12. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I mean, just, just do this for a second. That's how God measured the waters. I mean, that's barely enough for a little bird to drink out of our palms. God measured the waters like that. Who has held the dust of the earth? Or, excuse me. Or with the breadth of his hands marked off the heavens, the width of his hands. He, and he just said, okay, I think I'm going to about five. That should be enough. Guys, yeah, we can't even comprehend how far, the, how big the universe is. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But God measured it with the width of his hands. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the heels in a balance? Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The circle of the earth. Christopher Columbus should have read that one. And its people... Are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. You know, we've set up tents, we've been to Lake Buena Vista. I'm excited about going, but God says that's that's like his tent. I mean, that's just amazing to think about. Like that's how it compared God creating the heavens and the stars. Verse twenty three, it says he, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, no one, not one of them, is missing. You know, when I think about God, it's like we serve a God that we cannot exaggerate. We can't even begin to exaggerate God, and that's a comforting feeling. He is indescribable. I did a little research. There's 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And it's believed that there's about 170 billion galaxies in the universe. That's way more than our debt. Way more. I don't know the exact number. It's like a one with like 25 zeros behind it or something like that. Maybe 26 but if we were to try to count the stars in our galaxy, just in our galaxy, not including the 170 billion other galaxies out there, it would take, a, well, if we counted one star every second, it would take us 12,683 years just to count the stars in our galaxy. And we're kind of a small galaxy, like a small, medium galaxy. That's crazy. The Bible said that he calls them each by name. You know, I mean, it's just when you hear about it, it's like God is so indescribable. There is no way that we could even begin to exaggerate how big God is. I mean, when Moses said to God, who am I that you should send me to do this? God said, I'm big. I'm really big, Moses. You have no idea how big I am, Moses. You really don't. Next thing I notice about God, God is unpredictable. Very unpredictable. Go to 2 Kings chapter 2. In verse 23, it says, From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, And as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head. They said, go on up, you bald head. That's exactly what it says. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. What a day in the life of Elisha. (laughs) I get two things out of this. One, God used bears to teach obedience to children. I'm praying for our teens as they're up in uh, Big Bear right now. And then the other thing is, don't make fun of bald-headed Christian men. But God is unpredictable, right? You know, when, when Moses was on the mountain, and he's talking to God, who am I? And God's like, I'm, I'm going to make them really wish they wouldn't have messed with me, Moses. I'm going to send, I'm going to raid their land with locusts all day. You know what? The floors are going to be covered with frogs. You know, frogs are cool when there's like one of them. But I mean, could you just imagine that? Like frogs being in all your clothes and your shoes and your possessions and your food. I mean, everywhere. You know, I mean, God's like, Moses, I'm very unpredictable. You know, and the stuff that we're going to do to get your people out of Egypt, it's going to be crazy. And we're going to write about it. You know, the last thing I noticed about God is God is in love with you more than you'll ever know. Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but also gave him up for, all, for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, do you catch that? God sacrificed his Son for you. Verse 33, Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing, nothing can separate us. You know, and with God by our side, nothing really matters. Nothing else really matters, as long as you just have God there. And sure, like verse 35 says, Satan will accuse you. He'll make you feel bad. He'll uh, definitely, he'll certainly try to work against you. But it says the disciple that holds on to God can never successfully be opposed because they're holding on to God. And because he loves us so much, he won't let anything come in between us. And one of the most convicting parts of this scripture, he says, not even the angels can stop it. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Not even not even angels the, the, the people that he sends to do his bidding they they can't even stop us from god's love i mean that's just a powerful illustration for us to think about you know when god when moses is talking to god he's asking him like god who am i you know we ask that question so often he said who am i the, the if you asked god that question god Who am I that I can do these things? You know what he would say? I am. That would be the answer God would give us. That's who God is. I am. God, I need help. And I need answers. We would say, God would respond, I am. Who could possibly be smart enough to figure all of this out? I am what works I am what lasts I am what's the latest thing I am I need a fresh start I am I need a bigger story I am nothing is real anymore I am Who can I trust? I am. I'm not sure who's on my team. I am. I don't have a prayer to send up. I am. My marriage is sinking and I do not know where to turn. I am. I've always hoped for marriage in the future, but I don't know what's going to come. I am. I can't hold on. I am. I'm pouring into others, but, but who's pouring into me? I am. I'm not sure why I'm here. I am. I'm tired. I am. I quit. I am. I need a drink. I am. I've lost hope for all of my children and all of my family. I am. I need love. I am. I just need someone to care for me. I am. God would say that no matter what kind of questions we have, who am I, God would say, I am. I am the first, I am the last, I am the beginning, I am the end. I am all that you need. We will ask these two questions the rest of our lives. God, who am I? And every time we ask that question, God's answer is going to be I am. Guys, let's stand. as we close in our final song.